0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. is volume 8, issue 393, and we're going to be talking finally about Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. We covered Metal Gear Solid 5, Ground Zeroes, some time ago, a few issues back. You can seek that one out, that was 383. We also covered Metal Gear, Metal Gear 2, and the Solid games way back when. In the Mists of time, you can find those on the usual places. Apple Podcasts, or our website, where all of our old shows are available to stream or download. You can play along with our upcoming shows. We're racing towards the end of another year, but we still have Banjo-Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts to play, and Donkey Kong 64, a bit of a rare double bill there. Following that, a change of tone with The Evil Within 2, and then we're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of The Mighty Asteroids. After that, it's a much requested old school PC RPG, which has recently arrived in brushed up form on certainly Switch. Not sure about the other machines, possibly as well. Yeah, I think it has actually. Planescape Torment. I think you can play this on current gen consoles. Get every show a week earlier if you want and support us in our efforts for a dollar a month. I know I always say a dollar, but actually it doesn't matter where you are in the world. That's just how Patreon works also 78p or 0.9 euros patreon.com slash cana rinse and if you don't think you get value for money don't forget we also have other podcasts three of them wednesdays thursdays and fridays a music podcast a podcast where we invent games and one where we interview the developers of actual games subscribe and review and rate and all that stuff wherever you get your podcast from and don't forget we also have social media and some video content as well on twitch and youtube and yeah, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 393 are Charlotte Cuts. Hello. Uh, Rich Davidson. Hello. And welcome back, guest Maria Roberts. Welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. Kojima superfan, Maria Roberts. <laughs> but does she understand the story of Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, any better than the rest of us? It all we'll will see. become clear. <laughs> we will see so yeah uh, we covered a lot of the basics in our ground zeros podcast so we took the opportunity of that delay to the shovel knight dlc to split this into two shows which means we probably need talk less about the basic mechanics and the graphics engine and all that stuff it may come up and if it does that's cool but we've done a lot of the groundwork in that previous two hour podcast and there's a lot of phantom pain to talk about the game came out in september 2015 Across five formats, previous gen, PS3 and 360, current gen consoles, PS4 and Xbox One, and the PC as well, the reviews averaged out at around 92%, whatever that means, that's across like 60, 70 reviews, that's what the critics made of it at the time, whether that means anything as a consensus, I don't know, but I think it's useful for context. Sales wise, all we know is that it's sold over 6 million copies as of December 2015 who knows what it's up to now but uh, it's been given away on possibly PlayStation Plus and games with gold i think i believe i have two copies of this on one on each console and ground zeros uh, i think it's has it been on game pass as well i forget anyway uh, it's it's probably in your library <laughs> you can buy the the complete box copy for a for a handful of shekels Re- user reviews wise well here's where perhaps uh, the public perception Comes into play a bit more. On Moby Games, it has a shaky 3.1 out of 5. On Push Square, the PlayStation focused site, it has 8.3 out of 10. And over on IMDb, which is a bit more movie centric, it's uh, uh, higher up on 8.9 out of 10 from a lot of reviews, 5,000. But our histories with the game when did we play it, on what, and how much have we played it? There's a lot of it to play. Let's start with our guest, Maria.
1: Yeah, so I started playing Metal Gear Solid Five about a month ago, I want to say, and I oh. finished all the main stories. I finished the, uh, I finished about a hundred of the side ops. Yep, and I managed to S rank all the main missions. So oh, quite hello. proud of that. But <laughs> nice. Uh, and yeah.
0: Wow. What did you play on? Which format?
1: Oh, uh, PS4. PS4
0: sorry. standard or yes. pro? Oh, pro. Okay, good you got a few extra pixels out of it uh that surprised me i thought you would have been knowing what just having been following your twitter and uh youtube for a while i thought you would have been on this back in 2015
1: That's i know i know because the opinions were so polarizing i um right actually left it yeah
0: yeah interesting oh okay well yeah good perspective rich now i know you have been caning this for a long time
2: yeah so um I picked it up on, on day one on the PS4, but that really doesn't mean much for me. I, I don't tend to day one anything other than just a sort of slight interest in the game. And it's something that I played probably uh, on a not a quite an annual basis, but once per year for the last four years. So I did um, what I thought was quite a comprehensive playthrough of all of the the main stories and a good fair few of the side missions in the first instance around about a month after the, the September release. And then the year after that, I came back and uh, did everything. So all of the platinum trophies um, and oh, felt keep... like I needed more. So the year after that, I came back and I did about 50 hours of the FOB missions in isolation of everything else and we might get around to why that was the case. And then mm. this year, I came back ahead of the um, the Ground Zeroes podcast and the the Phantom Pain to do probably about another 30 hours. Uh, and I wrote about 20 pages of notes on all of the the plot just to try and get as best as possible some comprehension of what's going on so uh mm. i checked my game time today and there's about 350 hours of game time in there
0: yeah not bad not uh, quite as many as one of our correspondents but still probably about uh yeah probably about four times what i've played uh charlotte
3: yeah that's putting my um <laughs> playing it often with the chicken hat on and 60 (laughs) hours into perspective um so i started playing this when it was on playstation plus i think september or october of 2017 seems to ring a bell Mm -hmm. and i just started playing it because i'd started going through my ps plus games and just seeing what i happened to wouldn't have thought of picking up without ps plus but um you know just just trying them all out. And I tried out yep. Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which was a stupid idea because it's a follow-up to another game. And surprise, surprise, I don't like first-person games, so I didn't like it very much. Oh. And I stopped that after like half an hour. Um, but with The Phantom Pain, I played half an hour and I was completely hooked. So mm. for the next few months, I was just um, doing side-ops and really not trying to push the story on because I wanted to just spend as much time in the universe as possible. And then about a year ago, I got to the first ending and then I saw, um, we're going to talk about what happens after the first ending, but that kind of put me off it a little bit. So I left it for a while and then I came back to it for this podcast and got to the true ending um, after a lot of complaining about the missions just (laughs) before the true Mm -hmm. ending.
0: Uh, We've got many uh, tales like that in our podcast history and uh, we've also got many where the one of the panelists has completed the game on the day and uh, that's one of these occasions well nothing like cutting it fine uh sorry rich what did you play on ps4 pro
2: i did uh not ps4 pro i don't have a ps4 pro like, i'm not precious about graphics or anything like this so i
0: just picked it on the ps4 okay cool uh charlotte what's yours on
3: uh just a standard ps4
0: we're all ps4ing it mine was ps4 pro i played it on in the end could have gone for the xbox but i just really strongly associate the series with playstation because of the original metal gear solid and because of metal gear solid 4 being a ps3 exclusive it just made it just felt right even though my ps4 pro is a bit louder than my xbox one x and maybe i'd have got even more pixels out of that but uh, but it was fine um yeah I, I had a disc copy at some point fairly soon after it came out when when the first round of reductions came had that for quite a while didn't play it uh because i still had ground zeros to play uh, finally ended up playing it um on yeah the digital version i had on ps4 for the last non-stop really for the last couple of weeks but uh yeah time slightly got the better of me in terms of ringing every last drop out of it but it's still installed and i do intend to to do a bit more after but i played yeah 33 of the episode missions from the the main ops and well over 100 side ops as well so uh, and a lot of base management <laughs> so i've done uh, I've said, i don't know what my game clock is i don't can't even remember where you find your game clock you on yeah it's hidden in the
2: guts of the options so there's oh, okay. a whole boatload of back-end statistics that i right. kept there
0: okay i'll check it out later on so we'll issue a spoiler warning this kind of probably concludes the canonical metal gear story although the story of course falls right bang in the middle of the kind of metal gear solid timeline if you take it from or metal gear timeline i should say from 1964 all the way up to guns of the patriots in 2014 Uh, revengeance metal gear rising slightly sits outside in 2018 but uh, this is set in 1984 Okay, obviously we're not going to retell the whole story and I don't think the story has been told yet, but did it affect your opinion of the game? Did it, do you think going into it, knowing that the relationship between Kojima and Konami had obviously been fraught and traumatic and the development of this game had not gone as smoothly as previous games perhaps, did that affect your feelings going into it? Did you care? Do you now hate Konami with a passion
3: I think it's just a complicated story between Konami and Kojima because you can just see from the scope of the game that it might have been reasonable for Konami to start placing limits on Kojima. Um, there, like, auteur characters can be a bit of a nightmare to get to stick to financial <laughs> plans and things like that. So I right. can well imagine that Kojima was not the easiest person to work with but on mm. the other hand, Konami have made questionable decisions with their franchises, including Silent Hill and Metal Gear in the yeah. past. So I feel like it's a mixed bag. And so I didn't really let it affect my opinion of the game because I'm sure there is good and bad on both sides.
1: Yeah, I have to say it's the same for me as well, because no one really knows exactly what went on um, yeah, between right. Konami and Kojima. So it, it's it's just hard you know I, at the end of the day, I didn't let that affect my opinion
0: at all, so no. but I suppose it's um, good to be aware that yeah it may have may have affected the the products and I understand like i'm I, I whenever Konami comes up in these conversations, I have a huge amount of residual respect for Konami because f- between like nineteen eighty one and the late nineties or early two maybe yeah even no probably the early two thousand- late two thousands konami made a ton of my favorite games of all time so i find it very hard to be one of these people who if there's any story about konami i immediately i'm I'm not one of those people that has to immediately dive in the comments or on the twitter thread and say you know screw konami i hate them because um you know i i I obviously i don't think they're treating their their video game heritage and ip very well overall at the moment but i don't think it's quite as clear-cut as you know they are just Evil. I think they're just, you know, following what they think is the right path for business, which is all they always did. Just so happens that that doesn't involve Parodius or Vandal Hearts or you know all these things that <laughs> I used to love. I've. Uh, I think the only thing that it sort of stands
2: to my mind in this sort of respect is, and I can't quite remember to what extent this was the case, but there always seemed to be some kind of whisper about content. And I know this is probably something we'll go into there later. So I was almost sort of subconsciously aware that this might not give the the ending or the kind of closure. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah.
3: I'm sure we'll get to this, but there are so many endings to this game. I don't feel like it loses (laughs) anything (laughs) by not having another one.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Adam Capone from the internet says, I genuinely believe that we will find out what really happened one day. It will probably just be an article, but I'm secretly keeping my fingers firmly crossed for a 10-part Netflix series that covers the entirety of this tragic production. In my mind, it will be the most thrilling and emotionally draining documentary since making a murderer. Uh so well let's get into um the story and the and the scenario let's see if we can make head or tail of it or somewhere between the two uh, the ouroboros that is the the snakes eating their own tails V white 724 from the forum says metal gear solids Five's story is boring, campy, predictable to fans of the series and not the huge spectacular conclusion to the series that most would expect. Women are objects, ninjas are cool, war is ugly, governments lie to their people, people will piss themselves in scary situations and genetics are sorely misunderstood by this storytelling team. It ties some loose threads yet unties so many more, parts of it feel incomplete and it ends in a way that makes you feel lost and wanting answers while almost beating you over the head with the theme. This makes it the perfect Metal Gear game and the typical Kojima story.
2: So I'm going to come straight in there. That's kind of like waving a red rag in front of my face, to be honest with you, because I'm not entirely sure that I agree with that. I mean, is that comment perhaps more an allusion to the entire uh, sort of series, if you like, or this particular game? Possibly so. Um, Yeah, I think think that's probably unfair to level that at Metal Gear uh, 5, both um, Ground Zeroes and The Phantom Pain um we'll probably dive into that a little bit um as we sort of go into the nuances but i think there's a, a couple of things picked up in there like there, there are many themes in this one game in particular and many um sort of sideways comparisons with literature and with certain geopolitics of the time i think it's pretty unfair to to make that statement the, they're suggesting that it languishes in the kind of peculiarity in that it's sort of comfortable in that real sort of mixture that melding pot of different themes and different kind of incomplete elements is probably fair enough but it's just an uncomfortable comparison for me
0: i suppose Mm. i suppose uh yeah i mean text and subtext there there's an article that was uh well i think one of our followers or listeners actually pointed us towards earlier is a a freelancer a guy who wrote a piece for EGM sort of saying that the, the story is misunderstood. Now I, I sort of I balk from that because that sort of suggests that the author sort of kind of gets something that other people don't, which, which is something we try to avoid here. But mm. I but I understand maybe maybe people have there's this consensus that the game is incomplete and unfinished and a bit messy, but actually maybe Kojima maybe it is all there. Maybe for me Kojima's Excellence is actually in his game design chops, not in his. For me, it's not his story writing. I'm less interested in that stuff. Mm. I think sometimes he, you know, sometimes he comes up with memorable stuff, and sometimes he's. Uh, a lot of people now sort of cite a lot of the stuff he said in Metal Gear Solid Two as being like, "Oh my gosh, he's like Nostradamus!" Actually, he just said he said so much stuff like Nostradamus that, of course, some of it has <laughs> kind of come true, and some of it was kind of obvious where it was heading. Mm. So. I'm just going to come in here because mm. I, I
2: think that, so. There's there's a lot of stuff going on here, and there's a lot of moving uh, or spinning plates at the same point. And there's some elements of this that really did quite have like a meaningful impact on on my uh, particular opinion. In particular, the displacement of children, uh, the effect of demilitarization in in, in uh, the Angola border, yeah. mm-hmm. and and I guess without kind of going far too far in, far too quickly. The the kind of analogy that I used for Kojima, and I'm not a huge fan of him per se, is there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets a crayon stuck up his nose and he becomes a genius <laughs> and he presents to Ned Flanders a um, mathematical equation that proves that God doesn't exist. right And he's sort of tearing up. And I'm, I'm kind of approaching it from that perspective. Like, I'm looking for criticisms of the way he's woven... Um, parts of the 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 sort of wider story into geopolitics of the time into actual real world conflicts of the time and it's all there Mm. and if you're willing to kind of really digest what it what he's putting forward and do the research and try and sort of indulge yourself in that kind of wider space like there's there's a lot of knowledge there that is is serving the story it's just that the way that he's chosen actually convey that story in here when compared to uh, Metal Gear 4 for example isn't quite as um, sort of in your face. It's not quite as available to you, and and they both yeah. come with their own problems, of course. And I'm sure we'll get into that.
0: Yeah. So, well, that's yeah. One of the things is the delivery mechanism is slightly different in that uh, with Metal Gear Solid Four, famously, it had hours and hours and hours of cutscenes, uh, lavish. Uh, expensively made and directed cutscenes. This game seems to have, I haven't done the actual maths, but it seems to have far fewer. Obviously the game itself is considerably longer, like massively longer. So it may just feel like it's less as a percentage, but I, I feel like it is less. And then also rather than the iconic codec conversations that have been there since even the MSX2 games, the most of the story is actually told to you via audio cassettes Which you can, yes, you can listen to on the move and you can be fiddling around in the menus while you're listening to them. But actually, if you if you just if you just click them on and play, you're just watching a static, almost static screen with a few effects on it and some reel to reel tapes going round. And, uh, you know, for me, the delivery of them varies and I've, I've listened to them all and they, you know, some of them are more interesting and amusing than others. But there again like we were talking in the virtual green room before we started there's kind of a lot to take in and, and and again maybe one of the criticisms that could be leveled against kojima is that it it's a bit scattershot there's like there's a lot of different ideas and maybe they don't all quite come together but maybe that's my yeah maybe that's my shallow lack of understanding the the, the key overriding feature i mean the <laughs> yes yeah i don't have a synopsis breakdown in front of me but it seems to mainly come down to this uh this virus that is to do it it basically the 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 big bad in this game um who actually isn't quite the big bad because he's kind of outlining yeah there's a virus and he wants to kill everyone who speaks english right
2: i'll I'll give this a go (laughs) in in one minute or less as best as i can so um snake wakes up in a hospital in cyprus finding that he's lost a limb so he has lost an arm, and he's undergone some plastic surgery to make him look like uh just a regular person there's an assault on the hospital by um cypher mm-hmm. or by the the military that zero owns after he's found that he's been located and simultaneously an assault on the hospital by uh the man on fire yeah and um uh uh, with gas-masked, small, yeah. young, redheaded child, yeah. and then um, Snake manages to escape that, and he is uh, transported via uh, the Suez Canal through to Afghanistan to try and locate uh, Miller, who has been put together. A, well, he's put together Diamond Dogs, which is a, um, a private military company that's training the Mujahideen. And the main thrust of the plot within Afghanistan is that there are entire villages of um tribal Afghanistani people who are being wiped out, and at the same time there's a um militarized zone in the north that is uh being i suppose um oh here we go it's been taken over by skullface to uh create a new metal gear and then from there what we find is that uh in uh, the Angola a border. there's uh, a load of mines that are being used to to mine Yellowstone, and we're not entirely sure what the Yellowstone's for, and, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's the, the kind of key plot beats about where we are and why we're there.
0: Yellow cake, but, I think it is. Pardon is me, it? yeah,
2: yellow cake, yep.
0: That's it, yeah.
2: And then from there, hilarity ensues, chaos goes all over the place, and, and then it gets quite confusing. So... Um maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe what we could probably do is just take a look at the first instance, like what's happened in, in um in, in Cyprus in the hospital, because there's sure. lots of allusions to, to Moby Dick there yes. and uh quite a lot of confusing stuff to do with uh groups of different militarized I guess groups that are yeah. conflicting with one another. Yeah. Struggling a bit here. I
3: just wanted to say, um in general, I think the reason I got on with the story a lot better than some other people is because I didn't really focus too much on the, the minute parts of the story. Like I, when I started not understanding, I sort of just let it wash over me a little bit and just enjoyed it for the craziness that it was. But what I really enjoyed about it was the broader plot points. Like um, there was a lot of it was about brotherhood and the differences between how Kazuhira and Ocelot, how their allegiances to, um, to snake differ um, so Ocelots is more of an unconditional sort of peaceful love of Snake, whereas Kazahira is very sort of passionate and gets very upset by some of the things that Snake does. Um, and also this whole thing about identity and whether Big Boss is one person, a person, or whether it's a, a mm. sort of identity. A notion, yeah. A notion, Yeah and that sort of stuff i really enjoyed but the the general plot points i felt like a lot of it i understood but it really started to meander towards the end like the code talker tapes were not super Ooh, yeah. helpful as they went along
0: quite quite a quite a, a slog i found some of those yeah and and that's the thing like i feel like as i'm playing it even over the you know for me like 70 hours or whatever it is Uh, I felt like I was kind of getting a sense and a gist there's already a lot of stuff that would be utterly baffling to somebody who'd never played one of these games before that would just be completely yeah just completely confusing Um, and yet we're still kind of sort of struggling to pin it all together even with you know perhaps a thousand hours of gameplay on this between us Um, there are still certain elements of it which remain mysterious either that's because it's it's very deep and, and very clever and it's or it's or it's possibly because it's a bit confused and a bit of a mess I don't know Maria I want to ask you you describe yourself you are a self confessed Kojima fan I know from your uh, your social media at the moment that you are absolutely desperate for to play Death Stranding at this point so <laughs> what is it about Kojima is it is it this stuff that you love? Is it the fact that it's actually really hard to get a hold of? Or is it more him as a video games designer that that kind of gets you that excited about it?
1: I think it's a bit of both because I really enjoy um, how dramatic his stories can be. Yes, yeah. Um, I think the problem with Metal Gear Solid Five is that there's so many other games behind it that to yeah. remember all this information, it can be really overwhelming. Hmm. So, I think that's why I struggled a little bit, remembering all the details and stuff like that, but, um, in terms of the video game design, I thought it was pretty strong to be honest mm. um that was definitely the most enjoyable aspect of it for me.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll probably get some more of the story beats as we go along um'm gonna go with this next piece of if, correspondence if I can. Sorry, yeah just, sorry just before we move on
2: so so. For me, the the central theme of Metal Gear, and obviously this is a subjective interpretation, is is sort of the answer to the question: So what what is the conflict between Snake and uh, Skullface? And it's to do with the sort of political worldview. So my approach to the story is always from the view of what type of world is it that they're trying to generate? And the the starting blocks for me come from the idea that what Snake wants to do is to create a world in which all of these private military corporations are adopting the sort of war efforts of nations so that you stop having an individual conflict between two um like uh demographics or two populations whereas what um so so in, in effect to have war um pan out through private militaries whereas what skullface wants to try and effect is a world in which there is a sort of uh, homogenized language and therefore homogenized mm. points of reference and perspectives yeah. and it's about the conflict between the two of those and then the the sort of the identity issues sit behind that i guess from a less personal perspective and and anchoring my thoughts behind that um ideology kind of helped me to kind of carve through the narrative a bit more sort of broadly than just focusing on the sort of interstitial stuff between cars and Ocelot and snake and and some yeah. of the other Crew in Mother Beast. The soap opera.
0: The the, yep. the 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 macro and the micro stories, yeah. Hmm. Uh Joshua Heppel emailed us to say I decided to address one of the major cultural blind spots in my life, the work of video Kojima. My understanding of Kojima's games and he himself as a creator was strictly limited to the back of a cigarette cigarette packet anecdotal comments that seem to drive conversations where he is the subject. Comments such as He is a frustrated film director. His ambition is not matched by his execution. He seeks to tackle important subject matter, but is often heavy-handed in his approach. As I mentioned, I was entirely neutral on Kojima, and while it may be unfair to use Metal Gear Solid V as a litmus test for those criticisms, I was eager to gain some first-hand experience of a body of work that has such rich support across the globe. Hideo Kojima is a man conflicted. He is totally adoring of Hollywood, particularly the professional wrestling-style aesthetics of 80s cinema. We see Lethal Weapon in Police Policenauts, Predator and Rambo in Metal Gear Solid, and the inclusion of James Bond-esque villains, lairs and plots throughout. Goldfinger, Macho Man, Big Boss, the inspiration and use of identity politics are always present. Yet amidst this love and tribute, there appears to be consistent guilt for his feelings. For a Japanese man to have such strength of feeling towards a country that devastated his own with the horrendous and morally criminal act of nuclear warfare, it is unsurprising that he seeks to balance his affections at every turn with a scathing criticism of American exceptionalism and their military-industrial complex. He handles both this and the discussion about the folly of nuclear deterrence with great skill, as is perhaps unsurprising, and these aspects are his most fully realised and best executed in terms of narrative. His focus on language is also fascinating. English is the new Latin, as it is the language of the internet. To have that subtle culture war critiqued at all is a rare blessing, and Skullface's motivation to remove English from the world in order to encourage harmony is a genuinely compelling narrative. As a non-native English speaker working in an English-dominated industry, he offers a key perspective on its pervasiveness and cultural whitewashing. And I'll be an interested observer as he explores this overarching issue of connection in Death Stranding. With regard to his overall execution, I'll be brief. There is no doubt that Hideo Kojima is a true auteur. He is interested in the high concept above all else. To use an analogy, Kojima is designing catwalk fashion for the runway. He's not interested in its practical day-to-day application. I now find criticism of Kojima's lack of total realism laughable, as the same accusation might as well be made at Picasso. The realism lies in his character's core, not their appearance. I found Metal Gear Solid Fire to be fairly middling overall, but I have left the game with a significant appreciation for Hideo Kojima's vision and view him as a welcome and valuable relief from the barrage of westernized media. Big Boss's descent into villainy was an honest and subtle portrayal And Kojima has proven himself to be a man who understands the spectrum of human nature. Discuss.
2: What a beautiful piece of script there. You know, that's quite an elegant way of describing it. Yeah,
0: We don't have to get some good emails uh, or correspondence. That was an actual email. Thank you for that. Yeah. uh, The talk there of big Boss's descent into villainy was interesting to me just from a, from the soap opera point of view and the fan service point of view, just because I came into this series 20 years ago with uh, Metal Gear Solid then I subsequently went back and played most of Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 um, would have played all Metal Gear 2 but for a bug but that kind of origin story stuff and actually playing the origin story uh, is quite interesting although it sort of turns out that you sort of aren't that's p- perhaps the biggest spoiler but then you sort of still are.
1: I think it's definitely the most entertaining thing about his storytelling is how fantastical it can be while also commenting on very real things mm. and i really appreciate how original he can be like the whole parasite that's going to wipe out the english language who mm. thinks of that mm. <laughs> Like that's a really good idea i really enjoyed that
0: genuinely striking the first time you go into the the hell house or whatever it's called yes and yes. you know it it's completely expected in a video game and even in a Metal Gear Solid game to go into a a nasty place where people are being tortured or mistreated or whatever what isn't expected is that they've got an earbud in their throat <laughs> like something <laughs> like that that's the kind of little detail that sticks with you not it's not necessarily the the you know the the blood and the gore and the and the, the nastiness and the torture it's the who came up with that's a nuts idea yeah
1: yeah especially with um pause as well I won't go into that yet, but that was one of those things where.
0: Uh, no, please do go on. Oh, expand. Well,
1: well with Paz, mm-hmm. um, what happened to her was pretty horrific. Yes. Um, yes, so we, she did, had- we
0: did. We did discuss it some, some in the Ground Zeroes uh, game, and and yeah. it, it, I should say it came in for a certain amount of um, flack for because of Kojima's kind of record of female characters. Yeah, exactly. Do continue.
1: But um yeah, so she had the uh, bombs implanted inside of her. Yeah. Um and in Metal Gear Solid 5, uh she's brought back sort of.
0: Yeah. But- I actually I was amazed because I saw a video of this being done, this how to get Paz's room and cutscene on the base and it looked like the most convoluted set of things <laughs> that you would ever have to do in a game to <laughs> but I got it. I got this... I I don't know what I'd done. I don't know whether it's... I don't know what the criteria exactly are, but I ended up kind of wandering into it. I think
2: it it may be that... So there's...
1: the Wandering Soldiers, yeah. I think. Yeah. So they're yeah.
2: previously from
0: Mother Base, from um, uh, right. Peace
2: Walker, and they've got photographs with them. Yes. Uh, I guess that's the, the connection there.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just doing the side ops. And and yes, so you think you've seen her at the end of Ground Zeroes. She had a, we talked about this, she had a one bomb in her abdomen, which she removed. And then, as far as you could, as far as you understood it, at the end of Ground Zeroes, she said, actually, they've inserted another inside my vagina she doesn't actually use the word she jumps out of the helicopter and then she explodes but it's kind of retold here that actually she didn't explode she hit the water uh, yeah uh, there was there's a whole other except she
2: did explode
1: yeah right. it was it was really weird it was just the biggest twist but um yeah so you actually see her phantom um at the base where the room that where you see her in doesn't even exist. it hasn't been constructed yet. Mm-hmm. and the cutscene where you find that out is I thought it was really powerful. That definitely stuck with me, and mm. it's something it's one of those moments in video games that I don't think I'm ever going to forget that. Right. I did think it was really powerful. Mm.
3: I find it really hard to balance that he tries to do, to um, explore all these very intelligent topics, and yet he's still can't do it without degrading women (laughs) you know
1: yeah yeah i wish there was like at least one female character just even if it was another one that didn't have something really horrific happen to her or was actually you know a strong character both in appearance and abilities
0: I was pleased to see at least in this game where you actually get a special trophy or achievement for rescuing a female from the <laughs> battlefield. Um, at, yeah, yeah, at least there were some one or two just regular uniformed soldiers on Mother Base who were female. By far and- the minority, but they are there. Yeah, that was something. Yeah. But of course, this is rather undermined by the appearance of Quiet, meant much of which yeah. has been spoken about, but. There's this uh, awesome, super-powered sniper. But, of course, she thrusts her arse and tits. Well, she doesn't thrust her arse and tits in the camera. The camera thrusts itself at her arse and tits because that's what Kojima directs. And that's and she has no clothes on because of a, the lame excuse that she breathes through her skin. Uh, and it's the, the amount of times that the word embarrassing came up in correspondence about this. I haven't included a lot of it. But generally, the sense was it's embarrassing like not not that it's embarrassing, as in oh, I hope nobody sees me playing this because it's embarrassing but like it's embarrassing that a forty eight year old man or whatever he is still goes with this really reductive kind of portrayal of of women like and what's what annoys me especially is I'm a heterosexual man, I'm not immune to having you know women's tits thrust at me in a video game. But this is actually, it's just so overt and crass that it's not, it, she would be so much sexier if she had a proper battle dress on because she's a badass, you know, she's like a, she's an efficient, effective, competent uh, member of your team. And it just feels ridiculous to me. Like I used quiet throughout because she is so powerful. Weirdly, even though I got the, uh, I got, I maxed out our uh, kinship or whatever. Uh, thankfully, I haven't had to endure the, um, the, The scene that I have seen on YouTube, which is the awful, god awful, uh, erotic writhing about in the rain sequence. Anyway, I should we should say about the buddies like with the obviously you get D horse whatever happens, and I think you end up with D bot as I call him the D Walker, probably at some stage regardless of what you do because it's a a plot based one but you can actually not have the dog or quiet can elect to yeah. kill quiet and you can just not pick up the puppy i mean yeah. quiet just
3: makes the game so much easier
0: I think so.
2: Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. So so many conversations I've had with my wife who's been watching me play this behind me and I'm angry at Kojima for putting me in this situation because (laughs) I'm forced to defend using quiet and it's like, you know, she's really effective and, (laughs) you know, like she just makes moving around really easy and and the amount of times I've been spotted and she's burst the head of an enemy that I just quite haven't seen at the same time Mm. and and my wife just refuses to get it and I think Kojima's (laughs) got a lot to answer for in that space. Yeah. And I know Charlotte probably won't agree, but um, the Quiet Exit, which is a, an ending that is exclusive to somebody who's been using Quiet, is is a really good mission, and you you wouldn't have that
0: without actually, well, if you would execute Quiet in the first instance. I, I got the impression as well from the final scene with Skullface that, that it it has the similar setup where it it pauses and gives you the option to shoot or not, and I elected not to, but then he gets that's self-control it's like, the moment that could shoot him out oh, okay
1: <laughs> yeah same <laughs> uh,
0: okay because he then ends up with getting yeah. loads of bits shot off him and then uh huey finishes him off in the end but i'm not sure what the whether whether that if that's the only difference that you get a slightly different cutscene, or whether it actually affects anything beyond that let's talk about big boss's voice Uh, Mechner from the forum says the change of voice actor is a bone of contention. It feels like a betrayal to me. Many people say that David Hayter over egged it more and more as the series progressed and that he lacked the subtle performance of a professional actor that was needed for this game. But I just don't see the point in changing the voice actor at this this late in the saga, particularly when David brought so much character to the series. I feel Kiefer Sutherland did a fabulous job, though. This was contentious. So is Venom punished venom snake in the Japanese version still played by the very same voice actor. Yeah. Yes. How did you guys all feel about this cuz it was it was controversial and obviously David Hater actually came out and said, "Well, this sucks."
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn between the two uh, sides of it because obviously Hater's voice is so integral to the series at this point that it is very strange to just not have him as snake anymore and especially since the japanese actor was kept the same it was kind of like a snub to him in a way um but Mm. i did like kiefer sutherland
0: another curious thing is the morality system Uh, uh, this i think the for me the most interesting thing about this is the way he decided to have this in the game in terms of its manifestation. This is no Knights of the Old Republic or Mass Effect style Paragon Renegade meter. He's got a giant horn on his face, which is there because of shrapnel embedded in wounds and it manifests to look like a devil's horn. The the less heroic you are basically, the more mean things you do, the more people you kill, the less stuff you save and rescue, uh the more <laughs> the more you get the horn. Uh, to the point that it's, uh, it, the, the, I think there are, I was surprised about this. There's only three stages, right? V- three visual stages of this horn. Yeah. And I was convinced for the first few hours I was playing the game. And in fact, all the way through really, because I managed to keep mine to stage one, the lowest stage, because I do a lot of putting people to to sleep and uh, mm-hmm. fultoning them home. I was convinced that this little stub of a horn was growing inch by inch by inch every time I finished a mission, even if I'd elected only to, you know, kill one or two people. But apparently not.
3: Yeah, I don't understand how anybody would voluntarily get their horn to be really big because it just seems so beneficial, especially because you lose a lot of your base members at various points of the game. Uh It just seems Hmm. beneficial to put as many people as possible to sleep and falter them out unless you're getting short on GMP.
2: So. I'm not sure that that's... I mean, that that is correct. I'm just not sure that, that we're nailing the point here. So, for example, when you develop a nuclear warhead, you get given an exorbitant amount of these points that ultimately contribute towards having the greatest level, which sees you having this really huge horn
0: on your head and yeah. oh, being see. soaked in blood. Well, the nuke so, stuff only comes very late game, really, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so...
3: Yeah, I got the yeah. nuclear disarmament ending by accident. I just didn't do any of that as far as I can remember.
0: So I I
2: didn't, I I sold some nuclear warheads, found myself covered in blood and then couldn't quite remove it because I'd already done a hundred percent of the game. In fact, the last trophy Uh that I got for the platinum was uh, the nuclear disarmament. So I had to develop a second nuke, which is part of the reason that I spent um, probably about 50 hours of the game trying to steal nukes from other players in the FOB (laughs) missions to then
0: disarm them going forward. Huh. Right. Interesting. Uh, do you think yeah, so overall, do you think this is a, a a successful do you think there's you know, was it worthwhile having this in there? Was it a bit you know, did did anyone find it kind of off putting that it's right there on your face? There's, obviously that's kind of the point.
2: So I did think I needed to get rid of it because I'd I'd done everything else and I think this was something that lingered on on my thoughts for a while. And um, very much made me want to go and do some of the extracurricular stuff and the FOB things to go there. I mean, it's obviously a bit of a kind of glib, like facsimile for like what's going on at the same point. But it is what it is. It's not really too too problematic.
0: Peditus from the forum says, My major problem with the game, and in my opinion its biggest, is the final plot twist. The reveal that your big boss's double felt rushed and undeserved says Peditis, you're supposed to believe that your character, someone who was never mentioned before outside of this game's context, is as good as the greatest warrior of the 20th century. If it was someone we knew, like Frank Jaeger for example, it could have been a great reveal or at least have a little more gravitas, but as it stands it falls flat on its face because at no point we have any sort of attachment to the unnamed medic.
2: I think it's one of Kaz's tapes where he talks about how Big Boss is the deterrent and Mm -hmm. then the prolification of um, the private militaries. There's a sense that they're all uh, not scared, but they have a reverence for Big Boss, which means that there's a sort of camaraderie or a code of honour that they're all sticking to. So that's the importance of that character. And I suppose that really leans into why, or rather, Snake's interpretation of the boss's will. There's
3: the the sense that Diamond Dogs is um, sort of an equalizer in a way that all of the troops band together and i haven't played peace walker but i assume it was the same when he was building his um, Mm -hmm. army and peace walker and so it's like why why can't the medic on the on the um flight in ground zeroes actually become venom snake why is he less important than any other Mm. potential you know venom snake he is an important character because in Ground Zeroes, he, like the the Paz side story in The Phantom Pain with Paz's Phantom sort of explains it, that he was really traumatized by what happened in Ground Zeroes. So it sort of makes sense that that would sort of pull him back into the plot and make him a more important part of the Metal Gear series.
2: So just speaking to the distinction between Venom Snake and the big boss, if you like, um, because of the relationship that they've got with uh, the... The Les Enfants Terribles. Like, it's really important that they have a different gene pool to be able to draw a distinction of how um, Eli, in this case, so Liquid Snake, isn't a direct descendant of Venom Snake in that case. And that sort of throws Cypher off the, the lead a little bit and makes it a little bit more unclear.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I also think being Big Boss's double is commentary on how we, as the player, you know, no matter who mm. we are, We can be big boss. So I think that's why it's the Mm. medic, you know, the unnamed Mm. medic. Um, Yeah. Because we're we're just ordinary people. We're just playing the game. But we can be this, you know, incredible, well, I guess, hero in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we can fulfill that role. So I think it is commentary on that. And it's a really interesting way of um, exploring that.
0: Mm. For sure. Uh, so, there's a few other uh, characters in the ensemble cast. Now, uh, we're talking about the uh, the male gaze on the female characters. But Charlotte, you've made a few comments in our uh, Slack chat about uh, Revolver Ocelot, Shalashaska oh, in this no.
3: game. <laughs> I was joking. Um, Are you yeah.
0: sure? Um, I don't
3: know. Cowboys do it for me. What can yeah.
0: I say? <laughs> Is it just me, or does he his? He looks very different again in this game to how he looked in the 60s in the Metal Gear Solid 3 appearance yes. and in the, whenever the yeah Metal Gear Solid 1 was I set think
2: you're, you're starting to see the outfit starting to come in yes. at this point, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but it's the, um, there's the fact that, do you think, think they like, modelled his face on his voice actor in this case? I think he looks quite a lot like Troy Baker. Yeah, yeah I, I think so
1: as well, yeah.
0: Who is a fine-looking fellow and annoyingly talented? <laughs> and he puts in
2: an in—he puts in a really good performance as Ocelot. Like I'm a big fan of of Troy Baker in this particular instance. I think he's probably one of, if not the strongest voice actor in the actual the cast. Right.
3: Yeah, I do tend to think that Troy Baker. I'm not a super big fan of Troy Baker. I feel like a lot of his performances are very samey, but I mm-hmm. feel like he did really pull it out of the bag with revolver ocelot he really brings a certain distinctiveness and personality to ocelot
1: i feel like the personalities are so different from him in metal gear solid 5 and then in like the original metal gear solid they're like two completely different people like Mm -hmm. if you took away Mm -hmm. their names i would have no idea that it was the same character
3: yeah i think i think for me it read as though he wasn't Sort of sterile, like you know, like a very declawed version of Revolver Ocelot, but rather mm. he was very cold and very calculating, and everything he did was to serve Big Boss. Like I say, I think there was a real it, the reason they brought together Kazehira and Ocelot was to show the contrast in how they display their um what's the word their allegiance to snake like Kazahira, takes a lot of things very personally and right at the end he's saying he feels betrayed by big boss whereas ocelot is kind of he will do anything for the cause and so i feel like the fact that he was very sort of not nice but like very calm and then this torture scene came out it didn't really surprise me because it's just like very sort of behind the scenes and in control of everything
0: it felt like the the close of that scene was sadistic though where he he balances the the what's it called the metallic archaea mm. so that uh Emerick can't move basically without impaling himself on it and then having all the the stuff all the metal that lives in his legs melt but he's already got the information and he just walks out the room leaving him and it it like it was it felt uncharacteristically nasty like you say Charlotte I felt like most of the time he was acting for what he considered to be the greater good. But this just felt purely, I mean, unless uh, on the level that his keeping Emmerich in fear was his acting on the greater good in this situation. But it seems just nasty. And I I know it's a bit of an afterthought
2: as well, given that we've we've probably explored this a bit much, but it was Osler who did torture Eli and advocate killing uh, Eli as the head of the child soldiers at the same point. It just was handled off screen. Yeah, good point. Fair point.
3: Yeah, and also the Emmerich thing. I I hope at some point we can talk about how utterly detestable Emmerich is. As this a is character. your time. This is
0: go. This is go for it. I was just about to ask uh, you to elaborate on that that you've mentioned a few times before we recorded.
3: It's it's. I think it's in Metal Gear Solid Two. It's revealed that basically he found out that Hal was cheating on um like like Hal and his uh, new wife were having some sort of. Not affair, but like, you know, some sort of incestuous, abusive kind of relationship. And his response to that was to jump in the pool with his stepdaughter and try to kill them both. And since then, like like learning that, I was just like, nope. Everything that Emmerich did, I saw in <laughs> through a very negative cloud. And he was just so whiny. And like when oh, yeah. we were when you were going <laughs> through the quarantine section and killing the soldiers, which you had to do. He was like, you know, trying to pin it, on, pin it on Snake and saying, you know, you're killing them, like yelling into your ear as you were shooting them because <laughs> you had to. Oh, I just, I, I hated him so, so, so much. I don't think I've hated a video game character so much in a really long time. Oh, that's
0: good though, isn't it? Because that means he was effective if, that, if you think mm-hmm. that's what Kojima wanted. I guess, uh, I mean, also I think it's, it's one of those ones where it's, I think it's a bit confusing because they've made him so much like his son in terms of looks mm. and voice that it's actually just a bit confusing. So just to add on to that, Emmerich is also
2: responsible for murdering P uh, excuse me, P- uh, Strangelove um right. because Strangelove yeah. decided not to allow Huey to use Hal as a test
0: pilot for Sahalanthropus. Yeah, so not a nice <laughs> not a, not a nice guy. Fair enough. Uh Skullface is supposed to be, you know, or at least the most uh obvious personification of a big bad we have in this game, mm. at least uh, for the first main part of the game. Paditas says uh, the most disappointing character for him or her was Skullface. He could have been one of those villains that is compelling, not only for making you empathise with his personal reasons behind why he is doing what he's doing, but also because he fights you with his brain, masterminding several events and putting people against you, all while being one step ahead but as the game went on he started to feel less threatening and more boring, especially after that awkward silent car ride. I'm still baffled and somewhat amazed by how Big Boss didn't say a single word during or after Skullface's villainous speech, not even a single retort. Perhaps they'd... uh run out of money for Kiefer Sutherland's meter? I don't know.
2: <laughs> I um I actually quite like Skullface, I'm not gonna lie. I um it's not that I can sympathize with his motivations. That would be quite grotesque really, but I think <laughs> there's something interesting about the concept of like these Sweeping worldviews in competition with one another, these huge ideologies about the homogenization of language and of um, identity and really breaking down the boundaries between nations that in sort of geopolitics and and globalization terms is kind of interesting, really to me i mean not that again just to, just to make sure that this is really front and center i don't necessarily agree with the way that he's going about doing it but i think there's an interesting thought experiment to be had by actually looking at what it is that he's is suggesting.
0: this your uh mussolini did get the trains running on time uh, <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah and hitler was a
2: vegetarian <laughs> and got the autobahn on the go yeah that's it <laughs> every cloud <laughs> there's nothing revealed in the phantom pain that isn't already front and center there in ground zeros which is really problematic and and the same issues that I went at length to talk about in the ground zeros podcast like james Horan doesn't necessarily put together a good performance as skullface he's just a very generic kind of hammy actor sorry let's go back through that in in a less pejorative way the performance he put in is is pretty Dull and hammed up, and isn't necessarily as compelling as you would need to have. And Skullface himself is just generic; he has absolutely no identity.
0: Not quite as camp skeletal, but in that heading in that direction.
2: <laughs> nice hat, though. Oh, absolutely! Nice sovereign mask too.
3: I kind of lost the plot with Skullface in a, a little bit because after the true ending, you get a bunch of tapes where suddenly there's a lot of talk about Zero's involvement in yeah. what's going on and the whole intertwining of zero with skullface um so i feel like ground zero's covers this a lot like how zero is involved but i could never really understand what was what the relationship between the yeah. two was and those tapes didn't yeah. clear it up at all
2: so so zero is the uh head of Fox, if you like um which is the sort of clandestine Rupert Murdoch group that's uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> um and in the background and this is a real problem because it's done as an afterthought almost the um XOF is headed up by uh Skullface and his ambition is to basically go up and clean up the mess afterwards and there's a lot of like conflicting of interests between the two uh heads of those organizations because they don't share the same worldview and the whole idea of it is that they both want to get the hands on the philosopher's legacy, which is that big pot of money that was put forward by the the patriots to try and realize a new world ambition. It's just that it's handled in a three minute um tape that you need to
0: try and digest, yeah um yeah, and what's who seems like skullface's uh, right hand man or you know the muscle is the man on fire who in the end just kind of gets trodden on. Uh, although apparently that isn't the last one sees of him, um, he seemed to me an excuse for some rather standard, if subpar, boss fights rather than mm. anything else. One of the set pieces against Man on Fire involves shooting down water towers because uh, that stops him, unlike firing rockets at him, which just makes him more powerful. I noticed in the in the development section at some point the the water pistol turns up and you can even upgrade it several times i assume it's sort of you can crank it up to like a super soaker or something if you keep going with it i don't know
2: but there's a couple of ways you can get through the man on fire that don't necessitate water okay Um, you can drive a vehicle into him and throw him off the cliff you can pull down uh rain as a weather system you can use the little water towers um or your water pistol so yeah. yeah Some some nice flexibility in those it, yeah, fights. When it's good you've to gone know.
0: Yeah, that's great because we're going to get into this. But the flexibility of the overall the, the the set of play mechanics that you have is, I think, where what this game kind of lives and dies on. And the fact that that is at least in the boss fight encounters to an extent, even to you know the the big fight with Sailanthropus, like that game that that fight takes place across a large chunk of map, and there are multiple kind of ways obviously you're going to ultimately have to kind of shoot it with stuff but there are still ways and means of dealing with it beyond just kind of you know be- getting a bead on it and filling it full of bullets there's all there's all kinds of ways that you can think about uh kind of yeah tackling it and that's that's what the that's what the rest of the game kind of the the, the however many 50 to 1000 hours you play will kind of pan out probably more or less interestingly depending on how you elect to play it let's hear from the angry walnut furious about something on the forum says the gameplay itself is phenomenal there's so much enjoyment to be had whether that involves carefully skirting the outskirts of a base and hatching a plan before executing it perfectly or otherwise as was occasionally the case or taking out a guard post before they know what hit them or real realizing that yes I don't have any hedgehogs in my all-rig menagerie. Let me pause lining up this kill so I can tranquilize a spiny mammal and attach it to a balloon. When things went wrong, I found that unlike other stealth games, there was less of an incentive to just restart the mission. And some of the most joy came from changing tactics on the fly in order to escape a tricky situation. The fact that there were no mid-mission checkpoints helped with the tension and excitement. Oh. It's easy to get a kind of into a pattern with it and finding, you know, leaning on things that you find effective for whatever reason. But it is actually going through this correspondence for this show actually make me realize just how many options there are, depending on which mm. development lines you go down in mother base. There are so many ways of dealing with things. Uh, yeah.
3: It- the, the, the slight issue I have with that though, is that there are certain points in the game where if you've elected to go down a certain path, Um, It's going to cause problems further down the line. So I, which in hindsight, I think this was my fault. I think I shouldn't have done this because it was really (laughs) short sighted, but I basically had a two sniper team. So me and Quiet for the vast majority of missions would both have tranquilizer snipers and we'd just take everybody out and then Fulton extract them all. And I had a massive store of people (laughs) at
0: Mother Base. It's an extremely legitimate tactic it
3: is but then when you get to the quiet exit um mission yeah. which is a mission that you know you only get if you use quiet a lot um you have to really have developed a homing um rocket grenade uh, rocket propelled launcher yeah. otherwise it you you're in for a bad time um or you have to have d- developed a parasite sneaking suit um right so really if you've just been focusing on your sniper rifles you're yeah. in for a world of trouble which, to be honest, I think I don't think I can criticise the game for this because I think it's legitimate for the game to say, really, you had Quiet and you still got yourself a sniper rifle rather than using other weapons. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was kind of annoying that I had to wait for my CGM um, homing missile launcher to develop. And yeah. also because in that mission, you can't exit it unless you hop oh. on a thing and fault and extract yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then back out of the sortie and just uh, try something different. Knowing
0: the the way the mission's going to pan out is often yeah. the the key to getting an S rank. If you you know if you want that, uh, like the ones that I got, normally it was more by luck than judgment. But sometimes you'll just like you'll end up in a situation where, say, it's it's an extractor prisoner one, and you just. Uh, stop them, you know, early on in the mission because the, the, a whole sequence of events is going to pan out. Someone's going to get driven yeah. from a place to another place or whatever. If you manage to intercept them right at the start and then just get them the heck out of there, you can just get it, you know, get that yeah. S rank based on time or whatever. Which is Yeah, nice.
1: yeah, that's exactly what I did um, for the S ranks. I just completed okay. the missions as quick as possible. Yeah. And especially yeah. in ones where you have to, like, tail an enemy, you just go straight to the end yeah. and just do what you need to and then leave the hot zone. Um, And that's how you get easy S-rank. It it wasn't that hard, honestly. It was just all about timing.
0: Yeah, I'm
2: pleased you say that because I didn't want to sort of denigrate that. But I completely agree, like, getting the S-rank's, like, not the real challenge. The real challenge is going and doing those sub-missions. So in particular, in a quiet ending, you have to extract that entire armoured column. And you have to be within... touching distance to be able to get them all and it is it is a real challenge it is like having a full comprehension of exactly the timing of that level and making yeah. sure that you're on point that you've got everything mined down that you constantly have a sandstorm in there you're throwing things like um flares down to make sure that you've constantly got uh certain equipment on the refresh you've really got to kind of nail nail that down but it, as frustrating as it is it is the kind of the the purest kind of example of exactly what M- metal gear Uh, The Fat and Pain can do because it's just a constant kind of barrage of things and checklists that you need to be aware of and I I think it's also true of um, Back Up Back Down which is a mission that needs to have almost the same degree of impeccable timing. Yeah,
0: it's good to know that that extra hard stuff is in there but it's, uh, I think, if there was one sort of crux to trying to understand the people who really didn't like this game as uh, existing Metal Gear Solid fans was the fact that They didn't necessarily want a 50 to 500 hour experience. They were quite happy with the more linear level to level uh, setup of the previous Metal Gear Solids. And actually the sort of, you know, the stuff like, you know, going into airports and repeatedly nicking all their stuff to a lot of people. That just feels like, you know, busy work, not actual, you know, very compelling gameplay. I wanted to talk briefly about the per episode credit roll. Uh, which i just thought is an interesting curio sort of harks back to the remember playing metal gear solid for the first time and noticing that the credits were still kind of rolling as i was playing and it seemed very cinematic or or at least tv like uh this has a setup where you can finish a mission and you actually get uh, as well as credits at the start saying who kind of designed that particular mission and wrote the script for it you get credits at the end uh I saw. I thought this was a nice take on it from Ashley CSTJ from the forum, who says, "I think it's easy to dismiss the credits, bookmarking each mission as another Kojima ego trip or an aping of the aesthetics of television, especially when you're faced with such absurdly tone-deaf statements as guest-starring child soldiers." And while I felt a pang of anticipation when I started a mission and saw the credit featured Mecha Sahelanthropus, I fully appreciate that this was a spoiler for many. However, Revisiting the game in the year 2019, when I'm personally trying to make more of an effort to be aware of the labour that goes into game development, I appreciate being able to see a glimpse of the staff involved for each mission. That Mission 4 was written by Shuyo Murata and Satoshi Hirano. The the level design of Mission 14, Pitch Dark, one of my personal favourites, was done by Yoshikazu Matsuhana and Satoshi Matsuno. And of course... This snapshot is never going to be the whole picture there are still hundreds of people only credited at the end of the chapters and given the horror story surrounding metal gear solid 5's development i'm in no way suggesting that konami could be a positive would be a positive working environment far from it but for a series where rightly or wrongly the shadow of the Ota kojima hangs so heavily over everything this small acknowledgement of others' specific roles in the game felt meaningful, making unavoidable the fact that this was not the work of one man. Legitimately, I'm unaware of any other game of this size which comes anywhere close to this granularity when it comes to crediting, and regardless of my thoughts on the game as a whole, I can't help but think that's just really neat. I like that. This emailer forum post hits upon what Charlotte was saying. Many Metal Gear Solid games have suffered from action boss fights that jar with the stealth tactics the player has learned. It's much worse here because of the RPG elements stranding an underpowered player in a scenario they are not trained or resourced for. Anyone else come a cropper from that kind of setup? that, that, That issue of the juxtaposition between creeping around and... Sending fools to sleep and then suddenly in a rocket fight.
3: I mean, to be totally fair, um, I was grouching about it a little bit in the slack. But once... (laughs) once, So so I think A Quiet Exit was the most annoying one for this. And it did require basically leaving my game running um, with development for the CGM going. And once I got the CGM, I could do the mission no problems. So I think that was the worst offender and it's just a case of you have to wait in game and because you can't back out of that mission easily um you have to wait around a little bit but i feel like the game did give you like if you went and read a guide and then did what the guide said pretty reliably you'd be fine so that's one thing at least it's not like um you follow what other people are doing and it, it feels random as to whether it works or not. I felt it was pretty reliable that once you've found out a strategy and just followed it, you, you'd, you'd be sorted.
0: Anyone, uh, Maria, were you the kind of player who did you get into a pattern and, and, you know, this this doing things quickly, was that always with the same set of tools? Or are you one of these players who kind of looks at each situation and, you know, has a has a loadout for every occasion kind of thing?
1: Uh, So it definitely depended on the mission, but I would have like a set loadout for stealth and then a set loadout for more offensive missions. Yeah. Um, and I kind of liked that you'd get, you know, the majority of the gameplay is stealth and then you have this sudden shift in boss fights where it's more offensive and then you have to start being a lot more creative yeah. in terms of how you actually deal with those situations. So while you might be comfortable with using, I don't know, like the tranquilizer gun, you now have to think, okay, what do I need to do for this boss? Yeah. How can I beat this section? Um and I think there's so many ways of doing it, which we already discussed that it's I don't know it's freeing in a way. Yeah. And it does force you to get into more interesting sort of styles of gameplay.
0: I just want to be able to tranquilize a giant robot. I don't see where <laughs> the problem is. Um, yeah, I see videos like, uh, I remember uh, there's that YouTube guy, Donkey who seems to be a really creative player. I guess that's where his, uh, although, you know, he's quite silly and humorous and I think that's why people like him. But I was watch, you know, watching his Breath of the Wild videos and he was coming up with all these interesting ways to, to tackle things. And I'm always quite envious of people who are willing to kind of experiment and able to think outside the box, you know, push the envelope and all other cliches uh like that. Um and perhaps if I had, you know, more time to play each individual game, there might be some really interesting things you can do. I think I get the feeling that these games aren't dissimilar in that way. And uh, this, although it's obviously it's a very different vibe from Breath of the Wild, it has there are certain similarities about the, the consistency of the way the physics work um within you know within their own remit. Although I will say that Snake himself is absolutely hopeless at walking around any terrain that isn't a flat surface. Uh, <laughs> he's really not very elegant. And D-Horse, oh, I don't know, where does D-Horse come in the ranking of video game unwieldy horses? Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? Is he up there with Roach? Is he there with, uh, is it Agro? I don't know, but um, not the best, I wouldn't have said. A bit clumsy, falling off things, you know, that kind of stuff. Was it a fitting end? Uh, Capone Adam, you know, because this may be the end, even though it comes in the middle of the story. It may be the end of the official Kojima led Metal Gear saga as Konami keeps the IP and Kojima goes elsewhere and works on different things. Capone Adam says, I finally came to a section where I defeated a boss. That would be say and was soon met with an end of chapter one, just as I thought the game was wrapping up. It's absolutely baffling to me how huge this game is, yet the final third feels so incredibly rushed to the point where it makes you repeat the long opening mission again. I was desperately convinced that something incredibly clever was about to happen during this repeat mission. I was sure Kojima would soon introduce a twist where you suddenly played a new perspective, but it just never came. As the end played out, I remember this feeling of sadness. I could even tell then that this wasn't Kojima's intention in regards to the journey to the conclusion.
3: I'm not quite sure, but there's some lost material that you can look at, and it's to do with an ending that covers what happened with Eli. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's that's actually necessary, because we find out... I, I feel like I don't need that blank filling, like... We find out more about Eli in Metal Gear Solid Two, right? I'm not, I'm not the most um, knowledgeable about the entire series yeah, yeah. out of as here, <laughs> um. So it, it, I just, I don't feel like it needs that many endings. I, not every, every detail needs to be wrapped up. And to be honest, that was one of the the worst aspects of the game for me. I, I felt like having all these bitty sort of endings was like, Return
0: just, of the just, King
3: it just it just spoke to the fact that i don't like indecisive game direction i like i like it when somebody can narrow down the vision and say okay I, this is this is what my story is and and like so as i i said earlier um the game was strongest for me in its broad strokes of the story so whenever it pulled back into the details and that's what the endings were doing trying to solve all these different aspects of the game that just didn't quite blend together it just it it was just really off-putting for me. Um, and yeah, to be honest, the fact that the game might be unfinished, I don't really care because I feel like we shouldn't encourage having that many endings, you
1: know? Yeah, I do feel like Kojima had so much he wanted to say in this game where yeah. I think perhaps knowing that this is his last Metal Gear Solid game, perhaps, that he just wanted to include so much and really honing that down into a conclusive story was quite difficult.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it, well, it's, it's um, cribbed from Moby Dick, so he just really needed to get that Lord of the Flies right. Yes. Well.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Ashman86 from the forum says, at last I confronted Skullface and defeated him. But there were still so many questions left to be answered. Was Eli actually liquid? What was going on with young Psychomantis? When would quiet make me feel ashamed of my words and deeds? Would we ever see any other of the other characters from Metal Gear Solid 1 who spoke so highly of Big Boss? I couldn't wait to get some answers, and I also couldn't wait for Kiefer Snakerland to start speaking up more. But that tension never really went anywhere. It just sort of fizzled out. So many story threads were left hanging loose, while others were tied up abruptly and awkwardly. There was a sense of earnest in many of the late-game cutscenes, as if though Kojima had something he desperately wanted to say to players, But, eager as I was to hear it, there was just so little substance to grab hold of. The cinematography was almost invariably wonderful, and Sutherland's performance was fine, even moving at times. But it just felt like there was so much fluff. The final cutscene in particular was very visually striking, and I genuinely liked the not-unexpected revelation that Venom Snake was in fact a doppelganger of sorts, which neatly, sort of, explained how Big Boss died in Metal Gear 1, only to reappear. In Metal Gear 2. But after I'd seen it and returned to the gunship ready to select my next mission, I closed the game down and walked away. This was the finale we got to a series that had spanned five generations of hardware. It was. Casey from the forum says Great writing is all well and good, but its absence doesn't ruin Metal Gear Solid 5 for me. Even the most knee capped story can create atmosphere for gameplay given enough thought. And that's where the Phantom Pain shines. The Phantom Pain's gameplay features some of the tightest, most refined design I've ever seen, doubly impressive when considering the scale of its open worlds and the amount of agency the player is given. For the Phantom Pain to achieve such a level of polish in an open world game that gives you as many approaches to each encounter as you can think up is simply remarkable. The Phantom Pain may not be the epic conclusion to the Metal Gear franchise that fans had hoped for, but even after playing the other games, it holds a special place in my heart. Not only as a masterclass in game design, but as the title that ignited my love for the stealth genre. It's quite something. I'm still interested to hear more from you guys about the sort of change up from the maybe 7 to 13 hour experience of the previous Metal Gear Solid games to the potentially, I guess, what was the, the minimum you could beat properly beat Metal Gear Solid 5 in? Like,
1: I think thirty hours about that. Okay, if you just did main missions.
0: Sure, and that would leave you horribly kind of underpowered potentially at the end.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in here, and I know it might not feed into narratively on a little bit, but Peace Walker exists, yes, and that is a game that I've spent almost double the amount of time playing. This is more like I'm the ahead, sequel the to Peace, Peace Walker than any others. Yes, yeah,
0: absolutely. I I really enjoyed Peace Walker when we covered it for the podcast a few years back. Uh, the, obviously the arenas in which you pl- actually played Peace Walker are minuscule compared to the ones in Metal Gear Solid 5 because it was designed for a little mid-2000s portable rather than yeah. a you know current-gen powerhouse console and PC. But yes, the base building, the management aspects, the RPG aspects, the Fultoning, mainly the Fultoning, <laughs> were all in there. Hmm. I, I still get the impression, again, this is just my perception that the people, some of the some of the people who are the biggest fans of the Metal Gear Solid series, who are the least in love with the Phantom Pain. It's it's to do with that tightness and that lack of flab on the the old Solid games, not Peace Walker, but the you know one, two, three, and four. So I think um, this is
2: probably a bit of a sweep generalization, but I wonder to what extent the sort of fame that he's gone through, just being this huge. Um, Kind of monolithic entity in the gaming industry, and the fact that he's commanding some AAA list actors, so mm-hmm. like Kiefer Sutherland, like, and and you follow him on Twitter, and you know that he's a big consumer of all types of media. I just wonder if he's trying to create something that is a little bit more akin to like a um, like a series TV show. I'm thinking Twenty Four in particular. If he's really sort of leaning into that concept as mm-hmm. opposed to just creating something that is purely a video game.
0: I can t- I totally get what you're saying on that. Um but it doesn't again, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here because I like these open world games. I don't mind the busy work too much although I think, you know, maybe there is an element where these, you know, the the repetitive nature of doing the missions or or variants on the same mission over and over again isn't necessarily what I want to do. And like you say you say you can mainline the main missions but that would really mess up your economy and like there's a ton of stuff to research in this game, like in terms of weaponry and equipment. And you don't need it all, sure, but I think you are kind of, to an extent. You're uh, the player, a player who wants a shorter, tighter experience will feel railroaded, and I guess they just feel that yeah, maybe this game isn't isn't aimed for them. And, and yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to speak for yeah. People. I think that's
2: inarguable. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I appreciate it.
1: I guess the issue I had was that a lot of the missions in the, I think, second chapter were duplicate missions. Yes, And that really Mm. bothered me because it was pointless. I think, like, the game would have been fine without those missions. And I think when you have things like that, it's, you know, why include it? It's it's not necessary at all.
3: Yeah, and I actually... um, Mm. So I went through a real psychological shift with this game until the first ending... I had absolutely no problem doing side ops. I really got into just, you know, doing them, knowing that I was building up my base, like yeah, getting, yeah. getting myself the materials to build up my base and, you know. Um, but as soon as I got that ending and I started getting missions that were just re- rehashes of old ones, yeah. something switched in my brain and I was no longer interested in even doing the side ops. I just
1: wanted to race to the end. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's I had the same
1: thing
3: because
0: mm. I felt
1: like, the repetition of the missions and the side up missions was just like thrown in my face in a way like it was made much more apparent when suddenly in these main missions these like repetitions were just leaking in and there were quite mm. a few of them yeah. as well i'm not sure maybe 10 i want to say 10 yeah
2: yeah About that's that. right yeah i think i actually kind of like them because they kind of well it's maybe not the the right example, but they sort of force a, a certain style of gameplay. So, like, procure on site requires you to actually go in there with nothing, and it sort of shows a little bit more the versatility. In the same way, extreme prevents you from having certain um, quality of life things that you would normally have in the normal missions. So, mm-hmm. while it, I I agree that it wasn't necessarily the most um, appealing and appetizing prospect. Um, when I went back and played it, for example, the year later, it was quite an interesting. Um, yeah. it's 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 more like
0: like new game plus stuff for experts Mm. rather than stuff to continue the story with perhaps
1: i feel like it would have been better to have it as a side op in a way because having it in that main mission section felt inappropriate and i did enjoy playing them but i wish it was in like a different
0: part (laughs) Mm. yeah it's a curious way to go about it and yeah it's not like it's a game that was needed padding in terms of time was it Mm. Uh, far from it Mm. the gameplay says Padidis again so tight yet so flexible is what makes Metal Gear Solid 5 an amazing experience but with such a disappointing and unfinished story and knowing that this is probably the last true game in the series I can't help but feel that it fails as a Metal Gear and that it sadly marks a bitter end to such an amazing franchise strong words the Colour Erpel, also from the forum, says it has been a bittersweet experience to see the Metal Gear Solid series slowly transition from a high watermark in video game storytelling to a masterclass in gameplay design. The game's cinematic quality never lets up throughout the hour-long opening if only the Phantom Pain had been serviced with an equally compelling narrative. The full scene plays out twice in the game, once in the beginning and again in a nearly identical fashion during the final chapter wherein a few key elements are changed slightly to reveal a twist that anyone paying attention will have seen coming from the very beginning. Combine this with the typically problematic open world structure where plot details are delivered in a piecemeal fashion among scores of superfluous missions and you have a game that never quite knows how to hold narrative tension. Is it worth trading narrative for excellent gameplay design? In my mind, no. The Phantom Pain is one of the most brilliant games I've ever played, no doubt. But in 20 years' time, were I to revisit a Metal Gear Solid game, I would do so to relive the highs and lows of Sons of Liberty's prescient take on information control or Snake Eaters' brilliant exploration of platonic love and patriotic violence. These stories may already feel clunky and old, but as works of art, they will endure longer than tight, refined gameplay design ever could. So, that how you guys feel?
2: No. <laughs> I know that's a bold statement to come out with, but um, I think it might be due due to my personal sentiment and my own personal interest Absolutely. in the things that I studied, for example. Um, but I think um, some of the ideological issues that they're dealing with here are a lot more pro- profound than what you would find in, uh, I don't know, Snake Eater as an example.
0: Caliburn M from the forum says the music cassettes were my hour highlight landing in the helicopter with kids in America or the man who sold the world blurring out. will always be a gaming highlight for me. Perhaps growing up in the 80s was also why this semi Cold War setting appealed to me. Yeah, I still haven't found the too shy cassette. Uh, Rich kindly wrote a piece for us uh, some time ago. It's been on the blog. canerrinse.com. Uh, so i just pick the most recent tape that i've had and go with that for a while until i find another one uh, the the motivation being that at the moment i'm stuck with the uh, mid dancing with tears in my eyes
2: 350 hours into this game yes. and, and the music's kind of one of the only things that's keeping me going at this point um i like to just play the music during the mission so there's yeah. something quite a beautiful irony about like bursting heads mm-hmm. of PMCs or, or um Russian military to Spandau our ballet's gold yes. really, you know is it gold or true? <laughs> That's true, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Gotta get that right. And um yeah, much love to uh too shy.
0: Charlotte and uh, Maria, you're too young to remember all these the first time around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this
1: this was before I was born, so <laughs> Yeah, same. Do you dig Um, any of it
0: regardless? Does it set the period nicely or um, is it cheesy and terrible?
1: I do enjoy Joy Division, but I actually haven't been using the um, music cassettes because I think I just forgot. But there's so many features in the game that it's it's very easy to do that. So I think now after this podcast, I'm going to go back home. Play some more mm. and actually use the music cassettes because that's yeah. that sounds awesome actually. You
0: can go into the recording uh, that your recorder menu and actually then switch it to speaker once you've developed it <laughs> so you can walk ar- literally walk into enemy camps with your like you know you know how kids are on the bus these days <laughs> playing music out their phone. You can be that guy in the mid eighties uh, playing yeah.
2: only with Dead or Alive coming up
0: <laughs> yes or uh, Hauler Notes. Whatever, whatever you like.
3: I felt like the fact that you would go into these bases and they would be playing Americanized music or like in the case of Spano Ballet, British music, the, sort uh, of set the tone of music being universal.
0: Yes. So so
2: Not to try and sort of debunk this, but I think one of the things that's quite important is that in many of these situations, these kind of um, private militaries aren't necessarily made up of local people. It's actually like a multinational organization with loads of different people on there. So I know it sounds like I'm trying to hand wave that away. There is context into that. But I think it's a really important thing that you bring up because for me, unless you're steeped in the politics of the era, that music is probably one of the only thing that really drives out a sense of time in the whole situation. Yeah. And
0: also British and American poppies quite pervasive around the world and has been for for a long time. But you see in the quarantining section of the game that most of the people you recruit speak multiple languages um and quite a lot of them speak English but uh but actually there's there's a there must be about a dozen different languages name-checked in across the game. Yeah. Also as I discovered, you don't have to do the killing your own soldiers mission if you successfully quarantine everyone while you're still in the air. Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. If you well if done. you work out what the what the connecting thing is, the language, then it just gets solved. Um
3: Yeah. I cheated and did it that way.
0: Right. Which is kind of a shame because I knew based on how motherbase was being put together and I was seeing all these, you know. S- sort of security measures and stuff being added i thought this is definitely going to be a mission at some point <laughs> um but yeah it was now oh, well from the forum says new things will keep revealing themselves to you I, cu- I pretty quickly found the audio tapes and worked out that you can have a cool 80s soundtrack to your adventures and soon after i found that i could play the tapes on speaker instead and enemies would respond to them hours later i figured out That didn't just mean pop songs and that playing an Afghan lullaby would send enemies to sleep. I also found that I could have my helicopter blast out these songs as it came to the rendezvous, striking fear into enemies. But it would be dozens of hours later that I discovered I could put MP3s into the directory on the PC. Presumably this is and have my heavily armed helicopter arrive to any song I felt like instead. Usually (laughs) Hanson. Anachronistic Hanson. And I mean, I love the stuff where you go into the bases and knock out the power and the 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 comms. You can even, like, complete a mission before you start it. There's If there's a mission to knock out a base's communication and you've already knackered it all, uh, you'll just say, oh, you've already done it. Well done. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Ralamandastran, again, from the forum, says, snakes, tasks can be accomplished by near limitless means. The variety is astounding. There are fully-fledged gameplay mechanics for things you'd never even considered. Here's an example of just a tiny corner. The timeless cardboard box. Get in the cardboard box to hide from enemies. Hide in the box on the road to stop a jeep. Then burst out and blast the drivers. Too crude? Try leaving the box on the road and sneaking past. Or even quietly Fulton the truck when it stops, drivers and all. Not wacky enough? Try putting the box over your head, jumping into it like a toboggan, sliding down a hill and body checking the drivers. Prefer mind games? Try putting a sticker of a pretty lady on the box and put it over your head and watch the drivers swoon and fall to their knees. Or put a sticker of a Soviet officer on the box and watch them salute and drive away. This is the game's strength. Not its own creativity, but the way it allows and encourages the player's creativity to flourish. You can also put an invoice on the box and get yourself delivered to different points of the, uh, of the of the uh, base and stuff like that. Simon Sloth says it's not the game I hoped it would be. I wish they delivered a tight story mode with a few sandbox type missions sprinkled throughout, and then at the end said, "Go and play," rather than create the bloated experience they did. My game clock is almost at one thousand hours. The characters and plot have faded, but my adventures with Venom Snake will continue into the next thousand. Once I've developed all those weapons, expanded my base to its maximum, I'll probably stop, but it might keep pulling me back in for one more go. A huge chunk of the game requires an internet connection, so when they switch the servers off, it may be impossible to continue. One would hope they would adjust the development costs of the higher level equipment, but I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it too, they never do stuff like that. Yeah. So there's this whole extra stuff where you can start buying waters and buying second and third and goodness knows how many bases and expanding them out. Uh, I mean, I've got two bases. That's more than enough to be thinking about
2: yeah so you can have more than one uh forward operating base fob and i suppose the key principle behind it is that it allows you to actually sustain a lot more crew members so you can actually apply much more resources to some of the development tech and then get uh like greater weapons it's a bit of a false economy really because you don't really need the best weapons in order to get good at the game and uh, there is a point as simon mentions that that economy breaks and it's just exorbitant but the the good thing about the fob missions is it allows you to interact with other players mother basis or rather other players fob basis so that you can steal equipment from them or you can steal um materials or even steal nuclear warheads from them which was a sort of fun meta game that uh kojima put in where the the principle behind it was that every single player in the game should try and create this demilitarized or denuclearized area where no nuclear warheads existed yeah. in the entire game space i think based around my experience that kind of was sacked off because I remember playing this about a year and a half ago and coming in to find that the um, FMV that had came or the FMV that was kind of hidden in the guts of the game for that occasion was just kind of put out and that was one of the main reasons I was able to get rid of the um, the blood and the big horn that kind of plagued my character throughout the <laughs> playthrough
0: Hmm. Fultoning for fun and profit the emailer says each base is a self-contained puzzle with multiple strategies. Stealth and non-lethality is encouraged with the carrot, not the stick. Fultoning enemies to build up your strength is motivating. However, once the player gets a silent sniper rifle with tranquilizer rounds, the tendency is simply to rely on this and removes much of the compelling challenge. I understand I don't have this, but you can get a Fulton which teleports people. You can get a a remote kind of Fulton grenade, so you can Fulton people from far away instead of having to get your hands dirty.
2: Yeah, and D-Dog can get a Fulton device as well. Uh So you can bravely send him into the war zone to extract soldiers against their will while you stand from a distance and point them out.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you have a D-Dog and you use your Echo Biosensor arm, you can basically find out everything that's around you. That's the other way of kind of finding what's in the vicinity. Without having quiet go on a rock and tell you, I guess. Ben77Million <laughs> says the game's fans and perhaps Kojima himself might blame me for having so little to share from my time spent in its desert and jungle. Indeed, this time round, it was supposedly the player's responsibility to become Big Boss and engineer their own stories. And while its wide open world was a wonderfully realized playground rife with opportunities for tactical tinkering, and could be explored using a control scheme that was far and away the tightest in the franchise, it was also populated almost exclusively with generic guard posts and goats. Ultimately, these playgrounds were no substitute for the roller coaster narratives of previous entries that sped along far tighter tracks. There is something intellectually dishonest to me about the notion that the player can only truly become Big Boss when given such free raid as it implies that the player had not properly taken on the roles of protagonists in previous entries. Even if Kojima's intent was to afford players the means of creating their own in-game narratives, given the richness of the ones he had come up with before, this time it felt as if he were throwing in the towel and telling us to do the hard part ourselves. With the mundanity of available missions, I felt less like a legendary soldier during the Phantom Pain than I had in any other Metal Gear. The emailer says, "I don't think the game benefited at all from being open world. The space between bases were barren and uninteresting. It introduces tedious commuting and endless cutscenes of returning to base that added nothing
2: i don't I don't actually think it's that big, really, in no. comparison to some other open world games, yeah. but I guess like the the kind of touch point that I think is really important to mention is you've got." between six and seven hours of audio tape there. Like, if everything was condensed and together, it would probably be a bit of a disjointed and, and, and almost probably off-putting experience trying to find ways to shoehorn that that audio into that space. So for me, it so, sort of served as a nice bit of downtime to actually get some some required research in. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I have to say that I'm not really someone who considers uh, myself as a open-world game fan. I okay. actually don't really enjoy having like overwhelming content yeah. if that makes sense but yes i really enjoyed this game and i mm. put in a lot of hours into it so i think for me this it, this experience has kind of made me rethink open world games and now yeah. i think i'm a lot more open to playing other ones
0: right there's probably less kind of ubisoft style map just Icons just go here and collect this. Although there is a certain amount of stuff to find, it's not quite in the same way. I'm not sure without going into you know very nitty gritty specifics. But it it doesn't have like 800 collect them up missions. There are things to collect like plants and animals, but they're kind of dotted around. It's not like a there is one here, and once you've got that one, there is never another one. I think do plants grow back over time? That kind of thing. Like if you haven't collected one or whether they're just randomly or procedurally generated within a certain space but i never felt like i was uh even compared to something like the witcher 3 i never felt like i was just like must keep collecting plants it's like if i saw them i picked them up if i didn't it's fine um
3: yeah it was it was kind of remarkable that the the environments were kind of samey and um also very sparse and sort of well, the desert just is the desert, you you know what I mean? But at the same time, it didn't feel that way. It felt like um, the side ops were really satisfying, so I didn't really mind um, doing them because they weren't mindless, you know, busy work. And so the fact that the environment was just not all that expansive and and very much repetitions of what you were seeing, it just didn't really register that it was, um, you know that that's what I was seeing. I'm
0: sure there was a lot of the smaller animals I've never spotted. So originally, after completing the 45th mission, a quiet exit, uh, she was leaving the team for good and would therefore be unattainable, unavailable as a selectable buddy with no way to bring her back. However, this caused negative reaction from many fans who considered quiet to be an excellent companion To add insult to injury, unlocking that mission was preventable by fulfilling certain requirements. A fact that many players discovered too late. But later, Konami released a patch that allowed the player to re-recruit Quiet by completing the mission cloaked in silence a number of times. Thanks to IMDB Trivia for that. Did Anyone fall foul of that?
2: I think I only played with Quiet up until that point. And yeah. now that you've mentioned it, it, was the main reason that I didn't go back to it until it was patched up uh-huh. and I could bring it back here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I don't mind admitting that.
3: Do you know what's just struck me? There are so many comparisons between Kojima and David Cage with this game because, <laughs> because of um, in Detroit and bringing Chloe back. Um, ah. Sorry, spoiler for Detroit. Um, (laughs) so yeah, it's the same thing for me here though, even though quiet obviously actually plays more of an active role in this game than Chloe does does in Detroit is that, um, yeah, the decisions that you make in the game that get rid of quiet are pretty, it's Mm. a pretty big plot point. So I feel like bringing her back, I mean, I'm not mad at anybody who wants to go to the effort of bringing her back because she's really useful, but at the same time, I don't feel like it was a big faux pas to have this um this decision that gets rid of her i thought a whole story of um you know having to basically sacrifice herself to rescue big boss quotation marks yeah. was really powerful
0: yeah also showering and boob physics other things that this game has in common with david cage
3: <laughs> oh yeah
0: <laughs> female pheromones says i got to 94 hours in the game which is way more than i've ever spent on a single player campaign before which shows How much I must have enjoyed it. However, I ended up giving up on the game early when I got to what I would call a game breaking mission. Mission 42 Extreme Metallic Archaea. The super hard redux of the mission after the helicopter crash, where you have to fight off the skulls at the airfield, I lost count of how many times I attempted it, and no matter what I did, I just couldn't seem to complete it. I came close quite a few times, but even when I was down to the last skull with not much health left, it would end up killing me. I was actually actually enjoying the game so much that I tried a lot more times than I would have expected to as I really wanted to carry on with the rest but after a certain amount of retries I just gave up and uninstalled the game which really is a shame. It really left me looking back at the game with a different view than I would have done if I could have got to the end. Yeah, I died a few times on non-extreme metallic Archaea before I just kited them round and round the airfield (laughs) and chipped away at them until they were all dead. Has anyone tackled Mission 42 successfully?
1: Yeah, the Brennan yep. sniper, sniper rifle is uh Oh, it's the
0: Brennan, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. The,
2: the Brennan is basically the the kind of magical weapon. It, it just does everything in, you know, even guard towers
0: and tanks for that matter. Oh, really? Okay.
3: And um, with the Quiet Exit, if you want to um, do all the side missions with that, then it's really recommended that you have the Parasite Suit. And that's nah. how you <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: you don't need that. So much easier than getting the quiet, um, sorry, the, the parasite suit. You can actually develop a, um, a stealth suit and it's much oh. easier and it's almost like really that, that is game breaking because it just makes everything really really easy.
0: The Baboon Baron. This is our final bit of long form correspondence. It's not very positive. I was crushed with disappointment by the end of Metal Gear Solid 5. But I don't blame Konami. Kojima had spoilt it long before they rushed it out. By the time Phantom Pain wrapped, I'd lost all interest in the Metal Gear Solid world. I could have accepted some of the madness as long as it made a shred of sense. But instead, we ended up with a mess of arrogance, poorly written characters and inconsistency. The story and characters were so intrinsic to the Metal Gear Solid world, as was the auteur director. I wish I could separate the wonderful spy action from the dross story, but I cannot these two elements are so entwined in MGS that this final effort must ultimately fall flat. I wish Kojima had compromised his vision for the greater good, then perhaps an actual story and ending would have been possible. All style and no substance. Well, I think maybe if the Baboon Baron doesn't speak for any of us here, I think he speaks. I think the Baron is a he. Speaks for uh, for, for many, based on things that I've seen online. Very briefly, this game, like several of its forerunners, came with an online component called Metal Gear Online. I suppose it's like the latest version, the latest client in that series. I've never played more than a single game of Metal Gear Online. I guess it's still running. I guess some people are still playing it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I played one match today for the first time and there were people playing it. Um, yeah. yeah, it was okay. I'm not really a fan of uh, multiplayer games, but okay. I can see how people would spend a lot of time in it.
0: Does it me- mechanically feel just the same as the single player? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right.
2: So I've played about 20 hours of okay. it, and I'm in the, the sort of most effusive praise that I can give it is, is it works. It's perfectly serv- serviceable. There's elements of the single player game that just don't feed well or quite naturally into a multiplayer game because aggressions kind of really um rewarded if you like and and trying to play in a sort of stealthy way just doesn't well certainly the way that I would play it is just quite ineffective so mm. it's quite easy to put down after 20 hours or so are
0: there any sort of hooks to keep people coming back is it just the sort of the usual you know yeah just the usual weapons you know sort. some
2: costumes some skins
0: yeah for your weapons. I think there might be some perks. I can't quite remember. I'm afraid. One thing we haven't mentioned actually is this game came with microtransactions available. I've spent zero pounds, zero pence, but this is how you buy your money for kind of ploughing into your Ford operating bases and stuff. If you actually you can earn this stuff, but it drip feeds it to you. Mm. But you can go and buy it from the store, PSN or Xbox Store or whatever, Steam presumably. and And
2: i've dabbled with this um i have yeah because yeah so just as a sort of thought experiment really because the microtransactions are egregious because the mother base points allow you to do things like expedite the development of certain things but the amount of money you would have to spend is exorbitant similarly when you get up to the higher level weapons um it's like a seven day turnaround for the development and it's based around a real world timer. So it's seven, it's essentially a week of my time. So just as a sort of, um, like a one-off, I actually purchased some, I think I spent about eight pounds and the purpose of that was just to try and get another forward operating base just to sort of bring up the amount of, uh, mother base um, staff that were available and yeah it was completely pointless but I think you know I just want to reiterate you don't need to spend any money to try and squeeze the most out of this game no, no, it's just no. pointless yeah
0: and yeah just I don't know if anyone has I think I think at least you have Rich played a bit of Metal Gear Survive obviously we're not yeah. covering it in depth it would it could get its own podcast I know sh- at least Sean from uh, from Kane and Rince put it forward just mm-hmm interested in what even if those those of us who haven't played it have a perception of it
2: Uh, it's hot garbage it's um (laughs) not good at all the thing the reason i bought it is because i love metal gear Solid five i love ground zeros and i love the phantom pain and i just needed more of the fox engine and in that regards it delivers but it has none of the elegance and the class that you would expect from a kojima game so there's not there's no none of the brilliance in the directing. Um some of the dialogue is is junk right. and the plot makes even less sense than this one does. It's got an interesting multiplayer element to it, I suppose, and co-op multiplayer makes everything better, but um uh yeah, I think in the event that it gets a, a multiplayer sorry, a, its own show for Kenemints, maybe that would be an interesting discussion, but uh, can I recommend anybody picks it up? Uh, no.
0: Maria Charlotte ever tempted? No. Nope. <laughs> nah, <laughs> Cool, me neither. Right, we uh, had a load of three-word reviews. This isn't quite all of them, but uh, these were some of the ones I enjoyed. So let's go for it.
3: The Baboon Baron, Kojima versus Taste.
0: AC Summerfield says, whoops, no narrative. It's not true, is it?
1: <laughs> Pope Formasus says, weak ensemble cast.
0: Button Games says, needs better bosses.
3: Hit the Snake says, not enough cutscenes. <laughs>
0: Agent Dad, 21, says, forced to shower.
1: David Rush says, Kojima's incomplete opus.
0: Dan Whitehead says, so many balloons.
3: M. Caliburn says, can't fault in it.
0: Freelance Police says, take on me.
1: Lalou Gannison says, gay love triangle.
2: 1983 <laughs> <laughs> Bit says, hard as nails.
0: Was it?
3: Rala says, infinite opportunities,
1: boss.
0: Ashley Day says, an unfinished masterpiece.
1: And Chimichanga Jones says, rest in peace.
0: Well, so to summarise then, did we like it? Do we recommend it? We've probably, you've probably, I should say, got it in your games library listening to this podcast. Maybe you don't, but it's, it's there's a reasonable chance. Uh, I, I'm going first. A, my voice is failing. B, I've not played it as much as anyone else. And C, I can if I want. Um, So, uh, I really enjoyed Metal Gear Solid Fire The Phantom Pain, up to how far I've played it. I don't think it's the most memorable story that he's ever put together or cast of characters. He probably, I think he had a lot of things to say but i don't know how many of them resonated particularly with me i think there's some interesting ideas in there but to me it doesn't feel like many of them fulfilled however the i do like open world games i should say so uh, that is obviously in the positive column for me but i also very much like kojima's games design chops and his attention to detail and so having a Massive toy box full of video game stealth action toys with that level of polish and attention to detail that Kojima Productions have traditionally brought uh, is a lot of fun for me. I think there probably is a bit too much padding, a bit too much repetition and superfluous stuff. But overall, there's a really complicated and deep and broad game in here that uh, that does Deserve your time. A um, few frustrations and a few niggles aside, there's a ridiculous amount of, yeah, really high quality and fun and creative gameplay to be had if that's your bag. So yeah, if you've got it, especially if you've already got it in your collection and gold or PS Plus, and you haven't played it, well, at least go with Ground Zeroes first. And if you enjoy that little mini sandbox and think you've got the appetite for a giant one of the same, then by all means go for it, Charlotte.
3: So, I really, really liked Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, it's, it It's the first Metal Gear game that I've played a really big chunk of, so I think that might be part of it. Um, and, I, and then I followed up the other ones after I'd started playing Metal Gear Solid 5. Um So... I feel like a lot of the themes will really stick with me and I feel like, as I keep saying, the broader brushstrokes of the story and the relationship between the different characters is really going to stick with me, especially because it inspired me to play the other games and to even start reading up about who's this character and how's he related to this other character. Um, So in general, I feel like this is going to be a really monumental game for me in terms of all the games I've played for the PS4 and what sticks in my brain and sort of, I feel like was almost, not a masterpiece, but definitely artistic in some sort of shape or form. Having said that, I feel like the the sort of discussion of Hideo Kojima as some sort of um, genius yeah. um, is kind of damaged a little bit by Metal Gear Solid Five. It's definitely very messy towards the end. Um and whether that's to do with the Kojima Konami fight or not, I don't think personally think it was. I think Kojima needs somebody to rein him in, quite like David Cage actually. <laughs> um so um yeah, there's that. And also, as we've talked about, the his complete inability to just have a female character in his games that's not somehow completely messed up or completely exploited. Mm-hmm. Um it's <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a deeply flawed game, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable game. So I would definitely recommend anybody to play it because I just had a bag load of fun, and some of the story points really affected me.
0: Cool. Don't want to be having fun with video games. Mental. <laughs> <laughs> uh rich.
2: Yeah. So I. It struggled with this because it's it's difficult. I think I was very nervous about coming into this podcast because there's so much here to go through, and I think I was trying to lean in a little bit into the known quantities to help me get through it. So let's begin by saying, up until about a month ago, The Phantom Pain was the only platinum trophy that I've ever had, mm. or the only game that I explored in that depth in, well, since I started playing computer games about 30 years ago. And I guess I'm not very comfortable in saying this, but probably The Phantom Pain is my favourite game of all time. Ooh. I think Kojima struggles a little bit with the delivery, but it's the type of things that he's got to say which really speak to me. So, my academic backgrounds in geopolitics and demographics, and he's got a lot of really conceptual thought ideas there that really lean into some of the things that get my sort of gears going, if you like. I think I've come to the conclusion that he's some sort of like incredibly well researched savant in that area, but unfortunately, an uncomfortable womanizer, which. Feels a little bit like admiring the drug dealer on the corner. (laughs) He's doing something good for someone, but I'm not sure who. He's got an impressive knowledge of all sorts of political issues. And, you know, this game is really good because he tackles things like the effect of post-traumatic stress disorder. He's got a good grasp on 1980s Geo. Uh, politics in the cold war and you know that he wants to set his games in countries that no other games would tackle so angola and and afghanistan and and some of the things that he touches on there are absolutely right for the time period and then we didn't touch it very much but there's quite a profound message here to do with his relationship or the the message he wants to share to do with displacing children in these third world countries and the effects that it has in in there as well. And I think there's something that's quite laudable about that that situation. But it, it does have bad points, you know, there's a lot of hokey science in there, things that just don't follow or don't make sense. And um mechanically there's things like the microtransactions are outrageous and, and totally pointless. And I can't defend quiet really um beyond the fact that Mechanic Leash is very strong and you know, the only way I can get around that is by suggesting that I spent a proportionate amount of time out of the storyline. So being in, in interacting with Quiet wasn't really a, a, a big thing for me. The game's creative and, you know, there's a lots of humor in there as well. I think it's the only game ever where you can disproportionately knock out a child soldier and create full nuclear disarmament in one fell go. And it's got an interesting asymmetrical multiplayer and a serviceable competitive multiplayer as well. I think the final thoughts that I would have is that it never really felt boring for me and, and never felt like a chore and, and it was never busy work. And it probably says more about my sensibilities than the game. Um, I think the two combined, um, and I say that as the Phantom Pain and as Ground Zeroes, they're like really rich sources of interest in concepts and, and they're told incredibly beautifully. It's just a shame about Metal Gear Survive.
0: <laughs> nice one, Rich. Well, the best game ever, he said. No, he didn't. He, put it in much more interesting way than that Uh, thank you to conclude with our guest Maria
1: yeah I think despite its flaws it's still a staple open world experience with exceptional variation of gameplay styles that you can engage in Um, I think the game could have been shorter but if you like having a lot of content available to you regardless of some repetition then you definitely appreciate Metal Gear Solid 5 um, I personally love my time spent with the game and I'm not done yet, even after over 100 hours. So I will continue playing it after this podcast as well.
0: Nice. And you're <laughs> going to continue being very excited for Death Stranding.
1: Yes, yes, definitely.
0: Uh, so it does remain for me, Leon, to thank Charlotte Rich and Maria. Maria, where can our listeners find you on elsewhere on the internet, I should say?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and YouTube and you can find me by typing in Eurothug4000. It was the dumbest username I could think of. So that's, that's <laughs> the story behind it.
0: <laughs> A Eurothug4000. Thanks, Maria. Thank uh, you. Do check out Maria's stuff. Uh, thank you to also to our correspondents. Thank you to you for listening and bearing with my annoying voice. Once again, but it's even more annoying than usual. Sorry. Uh, If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe to it. Rate it. Review it. I think we recently hit 300 reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That's nice. Could always do with more, though. Best of all, if you want to support our continued efforts in making these podcasts, keeping them coming, keeping us going, patreon.com slash Rince, just $1 a month, the equivalent of about 20p a week you get every show early a week early often extended this one will be extended for example beyond the two hours of the free version and an exclusive monthly podcast an extra show with j and I next time in issue 394 it was rare's third attempt at banjo three banjo kazooie nuts and bolts Birds in the
4: sky What's for me? Life Tasted sweet